You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Psalm 139. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Notice the title to the choir master. The Psalm of David informs us that the psalm is meant to be used in worship. It's meant to be sung. Um, but before I even continue to read, a lot of times people make this bifurcation that worship is the singing. <laughs> That's it's so incorrect. Worship is what we do from start to finish. We are worshiping now. So we are using Psalm 139 in worship um, now as well. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be my night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, was, there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, if we are to profit from these holy and sacred words, Father, we must have you as our teacher. We ask, O Father, that you be pleased to teach us this morning as we look to you, O Father. Speak to us, O Father, through your word, we pray. Comfort us, O Father. It's been a, a difficult week for so many. We ask, O Father, that you will comfort us, that, Father, you would watch over us. 
We pray, Father, that you would bring these words home to our hearts this morning. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I mentioned to a couple of you after the service, last week was a week where we found ourselves on such a high, didn't we? I mean, with the baptism service, we found ourselves on such a high. And, and before, the, um, before the event was over, we found ourselves on a, a low as well. Someone asked me um, how, how I was doing towards the end of the, of the event, and I said, you know what? I'm high and low at the same time. And I think that really spoke for where a lot of us was at. But I had mentioned to um, a couple of you that my intentions were to go to Psalm 7 next, maybe Psalm, I think it was Psalm 8, but in the midst of all this, I don't know what I remember. But I think it was Psalm 7. But in the event that what has taken place, I, I just couldn't bring myself just to return to business as normal. I kept thinking about Psalm 139, and initially I thought, you know, Psalm 139, I just kept thinking about a couple of verses in Psalm 139, and namely this thought that our um, lives do not go according to our plan. You know, I was thinking that through and I was thinking, okay, that, that'll be the message on, that'll be the, that'll be the message on Friday. Um, that turned out that I, I did mention that on Friday. Um, but that wasn't the message that I ended up sharing on Friday. It became more clear to me that that would be part of the message that we would share together this morning. You know, uh, our, our, we, we have our plans, don't we? I mean, most of us have a plan, or a lot of us use, like myself, use a phone. I, I have to use my phone. The reason I like using my phone is because of its notification, you know, and I, you know, I missed an important meeting about 20 years ago, and that left such a mark on me. I was so, oh, it so bothered me that I wasted a group of people's time. I had completely forgot about a meeting, and ever since then, I've been so, I, I put those meetings in my phone, and I put, like, remind in 30 minutes, remind in two days, remind, I mean, there's usually about three notifications. <laughs> At the end of the day, those are our plans, aren't they? But... We really don't know that they're going to come to fruition. And statistics, in all likelihood, they probably will, but we don't know. Um, quite frankly, I don't want any, anyone to think that I'm bemoaning that fact. I actually have embraced that fact many, many years ago, and I am good with it. Uh, whatever the Lord's will is, I'm good with it because His will is perfect. Even though it may cause us some pain, it may cause us some hardship, and oftentimes it does. Nevertheless, if we could see everything the way he sees everything, we would see just how perfect and overwhelmingly magnificent it is. You know, um, so I was thinking about Psalm 139, and in and, and Psalm 139, the amazing thing about Psalm 139 is it's where the, the halls of systematic theology, which some of you love so very, very much, the halls of systematic theology. It's the place where the halls of systematic theology meet the prayer closet. And really, when we think about systematic theology, a lot of times people think, oh, you're talking about all these big, long words. You know, you guys, more syllables, the better you like it. And if you can get a Latin phrase in there, that's really cool. We have a couple. I'll throw a couple out this morning just because, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you like it. Um... 
But when theology is taught correctly, it should be taught the way Psalm 139 teaches it because, you know, we can break our psalm down in a couple parts and we're going to, and I don't think we're going to make it all the way through this psalm this morning, but we could break it down in a couple parts, but each of these parts, we'll see there's a time of praise. We'll see that this psalm, you know, some people, you know, really what one commentator says that Psalm 139 defies genre. In other words, it's hard to put Psalm 139 into a bin. Like, is it a praise psalm? Is it a wisdom psalm? Is it a thanksgiving psalm? You know, what kind of psalm is it? it is it a creation psalm? I mean, it fits all of these things. I'm just going to call it Psalm 139. How that be? It's Psalm 139. But it's so chock full of praise. And as the psalmist is looking at God, as God, he's taking in... Uh, who God has revealed himself to be, the psalmist finds himself just lost in wonder. And that is the greatest comfort that we can find in this life, actually. It's just to be lost in the wonder of God. Um, we have a tendency to become anxious and increasingly uncomfortable as we lose sight of that. I mean, think about it. next time you're, you know, if you're having a panic attack or whatever, or if you're just finding yourself... Maybe in a short frenzy or you're finding yourself really up against it, I can almost guarantee you've lost focus of who God is in that moment. How, I mean, some of us are like, yeah. Psalm 139 can help. And I want to um, show you how it can help this morning. It's a longer psalm. It's not the longest psalm in the Psalter, but with its 24 verses, it is long. And it's helpful when we're looking at a psalm this long to break it down into little parts. And it can be broken down into little parts, like verses 1 through 6. Um, we can break that down, and we can we can use one of those theological words if you want. We can use the word omniscient. Some of you, I know you know that word really well. It's really not that bad. It's just two words put together, omni, which means all-encompassing, all things, if you will, uh, in every direction. Um, back from the music days, you, you use a omnidirectional microphone when you want to capture something from, you know, um, many different places like a choir or a bluegrass band. You know, you watch a bluegrass band play and they gather around one microphone and then when one wants to take a lead, he steps a little closer to it and then he backs up. That's an omnidirectional mic. It's picking up in many directions. These are not omnidirectional. You would not want these to be omnidirectional because you don't want one vocalist to bleed into the other. So they're direct, very unidirectional this way. But omnidirectional picks up in all kinds of directions. So you have this word omni, and then you have the word science. It's just omni and science put together, omniscient. Science is, uh, when it's done correctly, it's the gathering of knowledge through observation, isn't it? Uh, systematic observation, gathering knowledge. So you have knowledge and omni put together. Uh, to be omniscient means to have exhaustive knowledge of all things. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but uh, as soon as you start thinking about that, you're going to join us in saying that is staggering. And that's what verses 1 and 6 are about. It is staggering to consider that. Then when we move to verses 7 through 12, we find omnipresent. And I think omnipresence is easier. I mean, we got omni, same word, Presence, that means everywhere present. Another staggering truth about God in verses 7 through 12. We get to verses 13 
through 18. Uh, many commentators would put the head of omnipotence over that. You have omni again and potent. So it would be uh, completely powerful, if you will. Um, absolutely powerful. But I think there's a better word, actually, than omnipotent. And it might be a word that maybe we haven't thought about in a while. It would be omnificence. I don't know if anyone's ever heard the word omnificence. Um, think of the word. And we use the, like, it's omni again with this fissence. I said, well, that sounds strange. Well, how many have used the word magnificence? It's that same thing. You got magna, fissence, magnificent. Uh, which means, like, it means just amazing. You know, if we go to a concert and it's, and we're just captivated by the musicianship, we're captivated by the compositions of the music, we're, comp we're captivated, we would might say that that was magnificent. And we're not even thinking that we're, we've got two words that we put together there. Um, omnificence means, again, all, all encompassing, the sense, if you will, uh, means to create. All creating. I think it's a better term for verses 13 through 18. Then we get to verses 19 through 22. I don't think we're going to get to that this morning. But this morning when I was going over this psalm in my mind, running through this, how we're going to do this, I was thinking, boy, this is going to be a long message. One, I don't know that my voice is going to hang that long. And two, I don't know that it would be wise for us to go that long anyways. That's a long message. And I was thinking that verses 19... Through 22, really, we need to take and spend some time on that. And I think it'd be a wonderful springboard into Palm Sunday and Easter. So I think maybe we're just going to try to go to verse 18 this morning. If we make it, it seems like we're doing good, we'll go all the way. Uh, if we don't, we have a cliffhanger for next week. How's that? <laughs> Sound good? Um, but the heading we'd put over this would have to be God's holiness, I think. God's holiness. Because sometimes we're just like, what do we do with that? Verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. There's, a, there's a, a real problem in the church today, and I mean the church at large, is because these kinds of passages, and we've seen this before, they get ignored. They don't get taught on. Listen, if I am not willing, I want you all to hear what I'm saying. If a day comes and I'm not willing to speak on these hard passages, get me out of here. Because I no longer belong up here. Do something with me, anything, but keep me out of here. Because we're called to preach the whole counsel of God, and we need the whole counsel of God in order to be balanced. And a lot of times people read these verses, and because there's such an imbalance today, um, where we, 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 we grab a hold of certain attributes of God, and we push them at the exclusion of all of his other attributes, that we end up not, it actually affects every area of our life, actually. And I, I would like to spend some time on that. I don't want to do it in passing as we're running out of time, uh, if you will, and we're running out of mental energy uh, to take it in. So we have four strokes. Most commentators divide this sum up into four sections. I really like the idea of making a fifth section and taking verses 23 and 24 kind of as... Um, uh, if you will, its own thing at the end. But if you look at verses 23 and 24, especially verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know me. And someone says, Well, we've already heard that, haven't we? Yes, in verse 1. Notice verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
And this forms what we call an inclusio, a set of bookends. Told you a Latin word. There you go. A Latin word, Alex. <coughs> Excuse me. Inclusio. Um, it's just a fancy word for brackets. Or if you think of books on a shelf, you've got two bookends on either end. Um, and we have this statement. And it's largely pointing us to what this psalm is really about. Now, let, with that introduction in mind, let's, let's take a look at verses 1 through 6. Let's start with that. And again, we're thinking of God's omniscience. But <clears throat> it would be a mistake to think that the psalm exists just simply to give us a lesson in systematic theology. Because I want to share with you how the halls of theology meet the prayer closet. The psalm is a prayer. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, you've searched me and known me. Now, see that word know in verse 1? Verse 2, you know when I sit up and rise. Um, discern is another word that's used. You know, discern um, is to perceive, if you will, to recognize. It's also a form of knowledge. Verse 3, acquaintance. You're acquainted with all my ways, another form of knowledge. Um, the word know again in verse 4. Um, and then verse 6, you have knowledge. So you have this, this idea of knowing, 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 all the way through. In theology, we recognize this as one of the attributes of God, that there is nothing that he doesn't know. Nothing. Uh, as we look through these verses, we're going to find this is staggering. He has exhaustive knowledge of everything. That's why he can say what is right and what is wrong. And that's why none of us can actually say what is right and what is wrong. We can't. We, we're trying to be arbiters of that today, and we are failing miserably. We always will fail miserably because it's above our pay grade. The only way to be able to say what is right and what is wrong with any level of certainty is to have absolute knowledge of all things. Only God has that. Besides that, this is, this is his world. Uh, he's the only one who has the right to establish that. He has established that. So we have his knowledge. But I also want to notice that it, it meets the prayer closet in such a personal way. Look at the personal pronouns we have here. Me, in verse 1. Oh, Lord, you've searched me. I, in verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know, we've done both of those things this morning, haven't we? A couple of times since we've gotten here. We've, we've sat down and we have risen up. You know, and, and this idea is God... God just doesn't know us when we're busy doing something. God knows us when we're sitting. He knows us when we're resting. He knows us when we're actively being involved. He knows all of these things. In verse 2, the psalmist, who is David in this case, says, You discern my thoughts from afar, from a distance. <clears throat> There's a sense where God is distant. There's a sense where he's close. Both are true at the same time. I went to seminary with an engineer, mechanical engineer. That used to just baffle him. He had such a trouble with that. He's like, you're either far away or you're close. How can you be both? Well, we're talking about God here, who's a spirit. Um, it used to drive him nuts. Um, both are true. God is discerning, recognizing, that is, David's thoughts. We do a lot to hide our thoughts. We do a lot to keep our thoughts concealed. And there's good reason for that. Uh, our thoughts aren't always the holiest of things, are they? 
Um, and we wouldn't necessarily want those being broadcasted over a PA system or the six o'clock news or, or whatever. We hide those things, don't we? But the point here is that our thought life, which is the most, probably the most, it's probably the thing we gather, that we, that we, that we hem in the most, that we try to protect the most, that we try to keep secret the most, is actually an open book before God. And if we're bent on evil, that should be a really scary and uncomfortable thing. But if we love Jesus, if we love God through Jesus Christ, that can actually be a really refreshing thing because there is nothing that we can experience that God doesn't know about. If our hearts are broken, God discerns that from afar. And maybe no one else knows how we feel. Maybe our husband doesn't know how we feel or our wives don't know how we feel or our children don't know how we feel or maybe we don't know how our loved ones feel. But God knows how. And why do we react the way we do to some things? I mean, sometimes we react the way we react to certain things and we don't even understand why we're reacting. You ever react, have a reaction that surprises you and you go and you think, you know, I didn't do so well back there and I don't even really know why. The short of it is, is because we've had a lot of experiences and some of them have been very painful and we also have a lot of fears and we're a whole mixture of all this stuff and we're processing everything through that grid. And you never know when something can trip something and a lot of times we react in ways and we're reacting in ways that have nothing to do with what has just happened. But it has everything to do with what has been done to us in the past or or whatever we're going through in the present, whatever fears or insecurities or anger or whatever we might have at the time. We can sit down with a counselor and maybe figure that out. Maybe we'll never figure that out. But praise be to God that God does not need any time to figure that out. He already knows that. He discerns that. He discerns that from afar. It's not a problem. And this idea of searching out, this is poetry here. Let's not get the idea that God has to conduct a search in order to discover what these things are. Like we conduct a search, if you will. If somebody's, you know, the neighbor's pet's missing, let's conduct a search. Let's go through the fields. Let's go up and down the hills and see if we can find our neighbor's dog. The idea is we're looking for something. At present, we do not know where it is. Its whereabouts right now are unknown. Uh, that's not the right idea here. Uh, this is poetry, and what this is, is God God is meeting us. You know how we talk to our youngsters, you know, when the, their vocabularies aren't real big yet, and how we talk to them. You know, I had a uh, uh, theology professor that says, God talks baby talk to us. And we need to recognize that, especially in the Psalms. We don't read the Psalms the way we read our high school textbooks. You know, at least we should, and you do, you're going to get in trouble. I mean, we wouldn't want to read, we wouldn't want to read, our high school textbooks, the way we read a Valentine's card from our sweetie. At least I hope, fellas, you don't do that. If you do, uh, it could be problems. We recognize when we get a Valentine's Day card, it's a Valentine's Day card. Or when we get a, we get a birthday card, we recognize it's a birthday card. We recognize the genre right from the start. And we don't even think about it, but we read it in accordance to what it is. We need to do that with, with the Psalms here. You have searched me and you have known me. In other words, God has exhaustive knowledge of the 7 billion plus people that are on this planet, knowing every thought that is occurring, 
at all times, anytime. He could call up a thought that we had 20 years ago and tell it to us perfectly if he would choose to do so. That's absolutely staggering. And more so, he could have told you what that thought would have been 300 years ago. And if you've thought about that, you start thinking about that and you just start getting lost. This is who God is. To think that we're going to hide from him, to think we're going to look this way and that way and we're going to pull something that's going to take him by surprise. Well, he would have known 300 years ago that you were going to look this way and you were going to look that way. You know, that's why Psalm, the psalm says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. It's absolutely foolish to think there's no God. That's not so much about atheism as it is about thinking you're getting away with stuff. You know, there's, there's no way to get away with anything. Our hearts, again, are open books before the Lord. Um, this really helps us, I think, with repentance. This really helps us with saying, you know what, Lord, my heart's already an open book before you. I might as well come forward with it. I might as well say, Lord, this is my heart. You know it. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of... Forgive me of the, the things I think about sometimes. don't even know where they come from. Lord, forgive me of these things. Look at verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. There is no way. I mean, our way of life, our, how we do things, the things we do when no one's home. God's acquainted with all of these things. He's acquainted with them all. Look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. I don't know what I'm going to say three sentences from now, but the Lord does. That kind of messed me up a little bit. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it is a thought, though, isn't it? What am I going to say three sentences from now? I don't know. But what we do know is that before the word is on my tongue, Lord, the Lord knows it all together. <laughs> before we even speak. And again, you know, Jesus says that our words come out of the heart. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? And the Lord knows our hearts. Verse 5 is beautiful. Look at verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. There's a fancy word if you want, if you're into one another one of those, merism. How many have heard of a merism? You'll like this. It's a, it's a fancy synecdoche. <laughs> what is a synecdoche? Some of you probably know what a synecdoche is. A synecdoche is a part of speech. It's a literary device where a part is given for the whole. And a merism is a fancy one because instead of having one part for the whole, there are two parts for the whole. Now, everyone in this room has used a merism before. You just didn't know it. And, and um, you, you can forget all this later if you want. Um, but how many times have you used this expression? You know, I have done something with my keys... I don't know where they are, and I've searched high and low for them. Now, notice, you said you searched high and low. Those are two parts of the search that you've done, but those two parts are speaking of the whole search. Okay, you may have looked up, you may have looked down, but you looked all around too, didn't you? So the high and the low is two parts that are speaking of the whole. 
Um, now, what's important here, if you look up merism in the dictionary, that's the, that's the common definition that they give you. And I think it's easier to remember that illustration than it is than to remember that the, if you do YouTube search, you'll find this. It's, I did it this week earlier. There's this uh, school teacher um, looking cartoon, you know, where she's got a blackboard and she's giving you like this. She's giving you this definition. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's a definition that needs some explaining. That's a definition that needs a definition. Um, I just, I searched high and low. There you go. That's what a merism is. High, low. Those two parts for the whole. Notice here in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. Two parts for the whole. You, you hem me in behind and before. That's a beautiful imagery. It's, it's beautiful illustration. It should make, it should remind the Old Testament reader of Exodus. You know, as, as Egypt is, as uh, Israel's coming out of Egypt and you have, um, Pharaoh and his chariots chasing them, you have the Lord leading them with the, the fire, uh, by day or the, I'm sorry, the cloud by day and the fire by night. But as they reach the sea, the Lord, he, he, instead of being in front of them, he goes behind them. And that is so wonderful, isn't it? Okay, they're in danger. And before anyone can even think to ask, there the Lord is right there protecting. Now, they're not aware of it. They, I mean, they're screaming, aren't they? They're, can you imagine being Moses at that time? Not an easy task. But before we're even screaming, listen, before we're even screaming, if you're in Christ this morning, if you put your faith and your trust in Christ this morning, before you're ever screaming, before you've ever had a pan panic attack, before you've ever had any of this anxiety, guess what? The Lord's already behind you. He's in front of you. He's behind you. He's on every side of you. You see the high and low, how it explains everything. Before and behind explain how wonderfully to be hemmed in by the one who loves us. And not only loves us, he has exhaustive knowledge. Can anybody sneak up on you when you're being protected by such a one as God? Can anybody sneak up on God? If they can sneak up on God, then they can sneak up on you. You see how wonderful. To think we're going to get all the way through this psalm this morning is <laughs> wishful thinking, isn't it? We're still on the first strophe. Look at, by the time we get to verse 6, we're with David saying, you know what? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. You see the praise? He's just taking this in. If you've never really taken this in, you've never really thought about these things, I invite you to do so and do so often because, I don't know, how many come in here anxious this morning or heartbroken or whatever? At the moment, you may have discovered that there's, it's, that's kind of been given an aspirin, hasn't it? If you're really tracking with this, if you're able to really track with this, you might think, you know, I haven't really thought about that. But then you had to go and bring it back up, didn't you? And now maybe we're thinking about it now. But let's go to the second strophe. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? In verse 7, you notice, see it says, where David says, where shall I flee from your presence? Some biblical commentators think that what this is describing is David's desire to flee from God. Um, and, and keep in mind, I've got some, I've got some um, commentaries in my, in my study, and the the possession of biblical Hebrew that these scholars have, I am nowhere even, you know, 
I am not a Hebrew scholar by any description. Um, I studied Hebrew when I was in seminary. I can work with Hebrew with the tools. But there are people who, that's what they've done. They've studied Hebrew. This Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And there are people out there that that's their field of study. They study Hebrew. They study the ancient documents. They study this to get really good at this. And what I'm trying to say is there are scholars who are far better scholars than myself who think that David is tempted to flee here. But I, 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 not all of them, but some of them. And I, I really do not think that's what's going on here at all. I think this is a literary device. I don't see evidence when we take the whole thrust of the psalm together that David is not wanting. David's not wanting to flee from God. He's he's actually he, he's actually embracing God and finding comfort in embracing God. I think that's the thrust of the psalm here. I think what he's giving is a is a literary device. Now, mind you, if you're not in Christ, you're going to want to flee from God. This kind, if we're not in Christ and we're unrepentant. And we, we really don't desire to repent of our sins and get near God. Well, we ain't going to like this. We ain't going to like anybody wanting to know our thoughts and the idea of someone knowing our thoughts. Yeah, that is true. We're going to want to repent. But that's not David here. That is not David. Um, he's asking some rhetorical questions that he's going to answer. Two of them. One, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, down in the outer parts of the, the dirt, if you will, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This is one of the most beautiful parts once we figure out what in the world it means. What is this wings of the morning? The best explanation that I've heard of it and the best illustration I know to give is in January, when Tammy and I were down in the Smoky Mountains, we had um, a uh, back porch that was facing the east, and there was a mountain range, a very tall mountain range. Um, as soon as you stepped on the back porch, you could see. And my favorite part of being away is having getting up very early while it's still dark, getting my Bible, getting a cup of coffee, and sitting for a good couple of hours with the Bible. When you're not trying to prepare for something, you're just reading your Bible, just to read your Bible, praying, reading, praying. And there you are. I mean, when you look out this window in this house we were in, you could begin to see the horizon, if you will, beginning to come, become a little bit orange. And, you, you know, you stop what you're doing and you watch for a little bit. And all at once, a ray of light just Boom, instantaneously. To our, to our eyes, it's instantaneous. This ray of light just shoots down into the valley. And the ancients used to refer to these, these rays of light as wings. Now, if you were to get on one of these wings and you were to ride that wing to the othermost parts of the sea. Now, if you're in the Holy Land, the sea is to your west. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west, doesn't it? So you get on board one of these rays, and off you go, as far as it'll take you. Go as far as it'll to the uttermost parts of the sea, to as far as west as you can go. How far does west go? Where does west stop? Kind of keeps going, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of reminds you of like Psalm 103 as far as east is from west. You know, like, you, know, you know the point. If you were to get on one of those wings and you were to ride all the way, all the way to cross, guess what you'd discover as far out as you could go? Verse number 10, even there your hand shall lead me 
and your right hand shall hold me. What's the application of this? It's really obvious, isn't it? No matter what I'm going through right now, if you're in Christ, I'm not going to be apart from you. You're, you're going to still be leading me. No matter what I'm going through, you're still going to lead me. You're still going to hold me. I know, guys, we make jokes, you know. We're on a roof last fall, you know, putting on shingles, and I don't know, it's, I don't know how many of us there were, three or four of us, and we were making jokes, and, you know, somebody was saying, hold me or something. Guys make jokes like that, but I'll tell you what, there are times, fellas, when we find ourselves so up against it. That's, isn't that exactly what we want? Lord, just, would you just hold me? Keep me secure in the midst of this. Life is so very difficult. If we look at verse 11, I think maybe we'll look at verse 11. And let's take the next strophe and, and we'll call it a day. Um, in verse 11, the psalmist says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, for the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is setting us up for verses 13 through 18. Notice what the psalmist says here. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The depths of the earth sounds kind of strange in the midst of that. We think, what's the depths of the earth got to do with all this? You know, archaeologists are always digging, aren't they? You know, they're always digging. And why are they digging? In fact, they dig really carefully. They dig with little brushes and these little tools. You ever watch it on TV? They, I mean, painstaking, patient work because they don't want to ruin anything. But they don't know what's underneath. We can't see what's underneath. The amazing thing is God knows what's underneath. But we can't see what's in the depths of the, of the earth any more than we can see conception take place in a woman's womb. And that's what's going on here. This darkness, even, even darkness is as light with you. And the psalmist goes in, listen, you've formed my inward parts. You've knitted me together in my mother's womb. Notice the language. My, me. This is very personal. Now we're talking about this fancy word omnificence that we just heard a little bit ago that we have already forgotten about. Um, omnificence. Uh, what did you say that was? All creating. I got notes up here helping me. So all creating. It's this all creating. And here, what is David doing? He's going back, looking back to the days to where he was being knitted together in his mother's womb, presumably before she even knew she was pregnant. Before she even knew anything was happening. Listen, before we even know this is happening, the Lord does. The Lord's aware of this. Of course he's aware of this. As I said last week, does any parent here believe your kids were given to you willy-nilly? That God just does, does this business. Here, you, you, you take one. It's, uh, yeah, there you go. That's not how it goes, is it? Well, we tuck our kids in at night. What do we? I mean, we know they're God's gift to us, don't we? And God superintends that from the very beginning. 
He superintends that from the very beginning. You form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You're, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Some scholars say this is God's omnipotence because you see his power in being able to, in, being, being able to create these tiny little bodies. I saw a picture. I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, but I saw a picture today. Of, um, of a child that one of us is carrying. If I, you can hit me really hard after the service. Are you? Okay, I figured you were. But you look at these little bodies, and it's, it's just breathtaking. Um, they have everything that they need, don't they? And you, you look at that, and, you know, um, of course, these are little human bodies. I mean, that big debate, you know, when does a person become a human? I mean, as soon as we start to have a debate like that, we've already lost. I mean, if you're a believer in Christ, you understand that this starts from the beginning, that we're, that we're human. Um, when you get into the subject of abortion, and I'm always careful. I tread cautiously when I talk about abortion, not because I'm afraid to talk about it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. But because very early in our, my ministry, Tammy and I ministered to some some women. Uh, one I'm thinking of now that she had had three or four abortions in her past. And, um, you know, I won't even say where I met her, but um, I was really thankful that I wasn't guns a-blazing that particular morning on the issue because this woman almost couldn't stand up because of grief that she had been carrying because of these abortions. And that was really my, one of my first experiences, probably close to 20 years ago now, one of my first experiences of the devastation that a lot of people are carrying over that, those decisions. So I like to say this, um, unmistakably it's wrong, unmistakably it's murder, no question. But also unmistakably, it's forgivable. When Jesus died on the cross... He died for, I can think of two murderers right now he died for. One was Moses and the other one was David. We need that message. That message, I think really that message right there is more powerful actually in bringing people around than, you know, than taking a Bible and just doing that with it. Um, once people realize they can find forgiveness, I mean, come on now. We all have sins in our back, don't, in our background, don't we? And I'm not, you know, when we get, it's going to be next week, but when we get to verses 19 through 22, we're going to see sin is serious business. We're going to get to that. And we need to understand that sin is serious business. And <clears throat> there are two groups. I'll say this again next week when we get to it, but let me do it now. Let me say at least this much now because I've opened up this can already. There are two groups of people that you can run into. Tammy and I have had experience at different times. I've been called to speak here, or speak there, or do this, do that, do this. We have bumped into both of these groups. You'll find them. The first group is a group of people, and they're fun. They're a lot of fun because they're so loving. I mean, they are so loving. You get with this group of people, and you think, oh, boy, I, I just feel like, you know, I've known them for a long time, and I just... And they are so loving. I mean, they are so loving and accepting and they don't judge. And it's just really, really wonderful. But you get to know them a little better and you get to see why they're so judging. Because they don't care about sin. They don't sit around and study the Bible like we're doing this morning. They don't fuss over it, you know. They don't, they don't really worry about all this sin. They don't worry about all that. And they, 
and, and they, they just love, you know, and, and it's imbalanced. It's this balance that I'm talking about. You know, you read verses 19 through 22, and you're going to see that the Lord cares about sin. And as we go to Palm Sunday and we go to Easter, well, then we all need to be reminded how much God cares about sin. For God doesn't care about sin. What in the world is Jesus doing on a cross? He descended into hell on our behalf. Better believe he cares about sin. So you see, that's, that's sinful. That's a, as attractive as that is, and it's, listen, it's, it's great to be around a group of people like that because you just don't feel like you're being judged at all. But now, on the other side, there's another group of people, and, it's, and you find these people especially where you find conservative, not conservative politics, but conservative theology. You can find groups of people like this where they're very concerned about sin, but they're lacking in love. That's not a fun group of people to be around. You know, you walk in, you're like this. Uh, I don't know. I want to say anything. I certainly don't want to say what I'm thinking. I'm not just going to be quiet. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That's a ditch on the other side of the road. We're to do the hard work of, of, of not cutting and piecing. You know, we're like Thomas Jefferson and how a lot of the, the way the Bible's taught in a lot of places like Thomas Jefferson. You just cut out the parts you don't like and don't preach on them. But what happens is we end up with this, we end up with this imbalance. You have groups that are very concerned about sin, but they're unloving. God hates that. And you have groups that are very loving, but don't care about sin. God hates that too. So what's the challenge before us? We're to be loving, and we're to care about sin. Now, that's not so easily done. Man can create both groups that I've just talked about, especially people that are very good at marketing. You're very good at marketing. You can, you can create the group. You're never going to talk about the Bible. You're going to have large groups of people. You're never going to mention the Bible. You're never going to teach the Bible. You're never going to do any of that. You're going to have this big group of people. We're all just going to love each other. We have no idea how we're going to love each other. We're just going to love each other. Man can do that without God's help, and they do. And it's going on as I speak right now, all around, all over the place. Men can also do the other where you have this concern for sin and, you know, fair, it, it, you become a Pharisee and the other stuff. Men can do that, but you want to know something? Only God can do the middle ground, which is what we're being called to do. Only God can so work in our hearts that we care about sin very much, but we also love very much. And we want God to do that with us, don't we? Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus loved so very much, but did he care about sin? He went to the cross, didn't he? I think this is a good place for us to move because I think when we get to verses 19 and we get forward and we get going, I think that's going to set us up for, for Palm Sunday and, and for Easter. So let's, let's call it here. Um, let's, let's stop right here. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for what we've learned so far. That we're just lost, oh Lord, as we, I don't, whatever we carried in this morning, Father, and many of us carried a lot of things in this morning that are hard to bear. Whatever it might be, Lord, as we gain upon you, as we gaze upon you, Father, it's always put in perspective, not to diminish it, but it's always so put in perspective. Father, we thank you. We thank you, oh Father. If we've yet to put our faith and trust in Christ, I pray, Lord, that we would do so now. We would look to you and say, Lord, I don't know a whole lot about you, but what I just learned this morning, 
I like, and I, I want to know more. You already know me. You already know my heart. You already know every thought. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. There's nowhere I can go to hide from you. I can't get away with anything. Lord, here's my heart. Take it. Oh, Father, for those of us who have done that, and some of us done that decades ago, Lord, well, comforting it is, Father, to know that we're an open book. We might as well just come clean. We're an open book before you, Father. And, Lord, you hem us in on every side. There you are. You're the one who cares about sin, but you're also the one who meets us with such wonderful love. And, Father, we want Tri-State Community Church to be like that. And, Father, we know that we can only be like that as each of us is like that. And, oh, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would teach us. Teach us these wonderful things, and we'll pick up here next time. In Jesus' name, amen.